I did not give you a worksheet tonight uh, for the sake of there was only about two things that were be critical, but I felt you could just write them down. My heart has been in this series called Revival. I grew up uh, in a generation in the 70s. I was 10 years old in 1975, but the Jesus movement, the Jesus Revolution movie that's out was happening in that time. And my youth pastor was a big part of that Jesus hippie movement that came to know the Lord. And he was my youth pastor. And so I grew up uh, as a children's pastor, youth pastor with Ed. His name was Ed Saxon. It was amazing to watch the passion they had for Jesus because if you were anywhere within 30 feet of them, you would get born again. And they didn't care if you wanted to get born again or not. If you were, if you were close, you were going to get born again. And somewhere between 1975 and today, it seems like that there's a lot of misunderstanding of what our role is now. And American church has become very selfish in our behavior. And rather than being outward focused to take the gospel to people who don't know it, we've used God in a very selfish way. That God exists for me and exists for my needs and we lose sight of the overall scope. And so that's what I've been trying to do with this because I believe both are necessary. The gathering of God's people is necessary, but God's people going to the world is necessary. It takes both. Here's what we've said for the last three lessons. <clears throat> Revival is an expectation of position. Uh, a location. By that I mean location. If we were going to parse this all the way through scripture, what in the yellow that I have highlighted, anytime some human belongs to God, he has an expectation over them. And by expectation of where they belong, we saw with Adam that the expectation was the garden. Noah, the expectation was the boat. Abraham, the expectation was the promised land. Uh, the expectation of the generation that wandered in the wilderness, the reason they wandered is they didn't get to the expectation of position. God said, you're going to go into the promised land. They said, no, we're not. So anytime a human decides, I don't want to be where God wants me to be, we wander and we just go in circles. And the reality of how powerful this is, the expectation of position is so powerful that the prophets even prophesied where the son of God would be born. And when it came time for Mary to birth, God worked the system of the world so well that they created a tax just to pull her into the location of where the birth was going to be. So we need to know that God is so powerful that he can even work with governments and work with systems of the universe and the world to cause it to work on our behalf. If, if, to get me into the place he needs me to be. I know we're going into an election year coming up, but Daniel, the book of Daniel says, even God puts the people in position that he needs to be in position. And sometimes who God positions at the top of a country is to move his people somewhere he needs them to be. 
So sometimes the candidate you may vote for loses and we think, oh my gosh, the devil's in charge, but God is the one that sets in and he's always moving those that belong to him. He's always moving them to a place of position. Again, the birth of the church, you go into Jerusalem and you wait and they did. They waited in this place called the upper room. And in all of those places, God has always had this expectation of position. Today, however, there's a lot going around in our thinking of Christians that anything that's a position, and by position I mean location, a building, a church, we, we call that religion. And we just want to float around. We just want to be by ourselves in our house and, and just not really have this location. But anytime there is a position that God sets a building that, that is just a building, but when God positions his people in this building, that position of God putting you here can move your life forward. So by being in this, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. <clears throat> Here's where we left off last week. The original, excuse me, the original position of God, he could have given Adam the entire world to roam in, but he did not. He created Adam and put Adam into a garden. That was where he was positioned. And out of that positioning, there were rivers that flowed into it to bring life. There was the tree of life in it and everything he needed was in the position so that he could go forward and rule the world. And here's what's interesting. And out of this positioning would come all of the sons and daughters that would go into the world because God's, God's covenant with him was you need to multiply and then out of multiplication, you need to fill the earth. So God has always intended that the reason we're positioned is to multiply. We're not positioned to become stagnant. We're not positioned to become selfish, our foreign no more. We're not positioned to just all read the King James Bible or all, read, all listen to organ gospel music or all do. We're not just positioned for our own selfish things. We're positioned that we may multiply and take the world by ruling and reigning and governing. It's always been his intention. Uh, if you go to the wilderness, in the wilderness, if we could erase all this, but in the wilderness they camped. And in the middle of the camp, there sat the, the Ark of the Covenant and the Tent of Meeting. And they camped in this location in the wilderness. But even in the middle of a wilderness, God set boundaries of what the camp would look like. And out of that position, they could, they could govern themselves, they could do war, they could worship together. So what we're doing now is we're going to come to the New Testament... We're going to leave all the Old Testament stories behind and we're going to ask, does God still require this today? Does God still have a parameter for my life? Does God still have a place on this big earth that he wants my life to be? And if so, he will do anything it takes to get me there. Here's the thought. Revival is a repositioning of human wisdom under the authority of God's wisdom. 
If I could sum what the word revival means to me, it is a clash of the two wisdoms. It is the wisdom of a man or a woman bumping into the wisdom of God. And any time a human leaves their wisdom and steps into the wisdom of God, we call that revival. I, I go from my life to his life. I go from my provision to his provision. I go from my understanding to his understanding, my wisdom to his wisdom. That shifting, that repositioning of my wisdom, here's his wisdom. Here's my provision, here's his provision. So when you think revival, we cannot just think a church service once a year with a revival preacher. We have to think that revival is a shifting of positioning. That means that any time we, but people who belong to Jesus get together, at any given gathering, there could be revival happening. Because all it takes is just one person and that's a revival. I don't have to have 500. Just one person who goes from my wisdom to God's wisdom, that is a revival. And, but it, the reason we lose sight of it is our natural religious perception is that's not as fun as 900 people transferring at the same moment. You don't, if one person steps over and goes, whew, I met the Lord, man, my life is totally different. That doesn't make the front page of the newspaper. It doesn't cause people to travel all over the world to go, wow, one person got born again on Beaumont Road. Let's go. God's doing something amazing. Now, that's the way we think, right? That's how we think about revival. One person got born again, we clout, but Douglasville doesn't show up next week when I heard somebody just got saved. Right? That's the way we think. Now, here's, here's, that's my wisdom on revival. God's wisdom is... If one person comes to know me, the angels of heaven throw a party and rejoice. <laughs> so that tells me that the way we humans think about revival is not the way God's thinking about revival. God's like, just give me one that comes out of their deadness into my life, out of their wisdom into my life, and all of heaven rejoices. And we're just kind of lackluster. Oh, one person got saved. Praise God. And we put their picture on Instagram. (laughs) But if we had, let's say Sunday, 350 show up, and the floor was filled with people, who encountered God, we would say, that's revival. We would be taking pictures going, oh, the Lord showed up. You should have been there. Because to a human wisdom, a bunch of people encountering God is revival. To God, one person encountering me is revival. We go to the gospel of Matthew that is an interesting take because Jesus makes a statement that is profound. It's prophetic for sure. Profoundly prophetic. Matthew 16, we start reading in verse 15. And then Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, verse 16, answered, you are the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. Ding, ding, ding. Good answer. He answers. Jesus says, verse 17, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from some human being. Now, in that exchange of two verses, Jesus intimates to us that heaven thinks differently than we think. Jesus says there's no way on your own you could have ever answered that except that some other power revealed something to you so you could understand you didn't learn this from any human being. Now, in that scenario, you, you got to know Peter's probably giddy, like, finally, I got something right. Next verse. Now, I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, Catholics take that to be Peter, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, this is laden with revelation from Jesus because several things happen. He said, Peter, what you just answered, you answered outside of your own human wisdom. You answered it outside of human ability. You answered it because you connected with the mind of my father. Right? That's the way we could read that verse. Then he says, now this, upon this rock, what rock? Well, if we were just looking at the natural, which is what we do, on Peter's shoulders, he's going to become the first pope of the church. He's going to be the daddy of all of them. But if I don't look at it from human wisdom, but from, but from heavenly wisdom, Upon this rock, what? Upon the rock that the wisdom of the Father and the mind of the Father and the understanding of the Father is how I'm going to build my church. And that's the rock. On this rock, what rock? The, the revelation of heaven downloading things to you that you could not know on your own. That's why it's going to be my church is going to be different from a business. My church will be different from a college because my church will be built on something that the human brain would never think of. And here's where it gets interesting because it, I don't really need any kind of revelation today to build a church. I need a 501c3. I need a board. I need to get it going because in our human mind, church 2,000 years later, our buildings and religious and doctrines and the way we do music and the way we dress, whether we can wear makeup or pants or whatever. I visited a church today for some students, and one of the things they said is, Pastor Mark, will you come eat lunch with us today? And I said, sure, I will. So I went to go meet some students for lunch, and they said, well, hey, I want you to do two things. We want you to wear skinny jeans and a T-shirt to show your tattoos. And I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> they said, because where we go, they don't really like tattoos that much. So you want me to come to a place they don't like tattoos? Uh, 
right? Well, it's easy to build our church on our own, whatever it would be. We like tattoos. We don't like tattoos. We like hymns. We don't like hymns. But Jesus said the beginning is not going to be built that way. I'm going to build it off of humans that are desperate for my wisdom. And when you're desperate for my wisdom, that's how the church will be built. Because I know things about your city and about the people in your city that you do not know. You can do all the research you want about what kind of income people live and where all the HOAs are and where all the schools are. But the way I build my church is I build it from a wisdom that sees it differently than the way you see it. Now, here's what's interesting. He uses the term church prophetically because there was no church yet. So if you think that this here we call church today is just some religious jargon that we can just toss aside, you must understand this was never our thought. It's turned into our thought because I can buy airplanes and helicopters and manipulate people with my egos as as leaders. But the person who first thunk it up was Jesus. Now tell me, if you want to mess up the plan of God, you take how he thinks and you put us in charge and now we tell him how we think. But the first time church is mentioned, it's mentioned prophetically before book of Acts was ever along before anybody was in an upper room and before anybody was ever called a Christian and before there was ever a house church, before there was ever anything out in the streets happening, he prophetically used the phrase church and then says this, I love it, and the powers of hell. (laughs) He immediately lets us know that we're not just talking about a system of religion. Because the powers of hell obviously were trying their best to conquer something. And if it couldn't conquer it, there would have been no need for the church. He wouldn't have had to say the church. They won't be able to conquer that. So what he's intimating is up until this point, there's never really been anything like this before where the powers of hell are going to be shut down because of it. It gets more interesting than that. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And now he tells me that this entity called the church, we we won't even know, here's what hurts us now. Now we're bothered by preconceived notions. Because we're looking backwards. So when we hear church, we, we get Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Church of God in Christ. We get, we've got all our little images. But when he said church, what image do you have? What is he talking about? What does he mean church? Uh, what, what is he going to do? Then he goes a little deeper. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Then he states this, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you loose and permit on earth 
will be permitted in heaven. In other words, the way Jesus is intimating that this body, this church, we don't know it's a body yet, but this thing called the church, he intimates that there will be such an intertwining of a human with the revelation of God that whatever human here says is in perfect congruency with God and things happen. Things happen between heaven and earth. And so he sets it up for us in the New Testament. We get something we've never gotten before. We get this thing called the church. Let's look at it. Here's what he says when he says, I will build my church. The word build is oikodomio, something like that. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I spelt it right. Now, when we hear build, In our language, we all think, well, okay, he's going to build something. And then we get our hammers and our nails. But when he used the term, I'm going to build, to hear it in their mind, it immediately lent itself like a building of a house. I'm going to build me a house. There's that location. I'm going to position you in my house. I'm building something. I know right now we're all walking streets of Jerusalem, but I will build. In other words, when Jesus says build, he's thinking that a community of people are going to gather in a location. And in that location, they're going to display his power and the gates of hell would never prevail. Some people today still call churches houses. Some of us that are really book of Acts, we go, we ought to have a house church. We try to blend the two together. But whatever we're thinking when we think build, we don't think random people wandering around trying to find revival. When he says build my church, he's trying to gather you into a location. Because once you gather and plant your life in a location, supernatural things happen. It's also to build up from a foundation. So when he says build, it's something brand new and it means to restore So Jesus is thinking that whatever he's about to do, he's going to do to restore something, which is humanity back with him. And then the word church. Ecclesia, it's the gathering of citizens called out from their homes and into a public space. So the moment Jesus uses the term church, Jesus is thinking, get out of your house Get out into the public places, and in that public place, you're going to convene together. This is the way they thought about that word church. When they didn't hear church, they heard ecclesia. When they heard that, they immediately are thinking a gathering of people in a public place to debate and would later become what we would know as church. We gather together in a space publicly that we could represent and worship God. It was never intended for you and I just to serve Jesus in our closet, in our house. He always intended that you would leave your natural home and come to his spiritual home that was in a public location. And out of that public location of citizens of heaven gathering together, because as you go through the New Testament, you will be called a citizen of heaven. And you will be called out into the public places to represent him as an ambassador. 
So the reasoning of Christianity, therefore, is not just to gather in this space. It's that we would gather and convene so that we could go accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. So let's look at the New Testament. The New Testament is this space location we call the church. It's not the Garden of Eden, it's the church. And that church is we have been positioned in righteousness. He places us in this global body called the church. Now inside this thing called the church, it would be sweet if we all just were one big mothership. But us Protestants don't like that. I don't like a guy named the Pope telling me what to do. I'm not saying they're right in their doctrine of all ways, but they at least have the concept that uh, Catholics are part of a global church. And whatever the Pope says goes, baby. And we don't care if the Lord told you something, prophesied something to you. If the Pope doesn't let it roll, it doesn't roll. Now that, could you imagine if that was how we did church apostolically, what could happen? Well, God intends us to work together. The reality of it is we can't even agree on music. We can't even agree if a woman can stand up here or not. We can't even agree on what day and what time. But God has like the garden four rivers that flood into this thing of the church to whereby the church can be nourished. Number one, the fruits of the spirit. All of them are supernatural. The gifts of the Spirit. These are given for example. The fruit is given to be an example. You're born again, so therefore everything flowing into the church, positioned into the church, should be an example of Jesus Christ. Just with the fruit. Then there's the gifts. The gifts are because you need to be empowered. You come to a gathering like this, the gifts begin to flow, the Lord speaks to you, empowerment comes. Then there's the fivefold that flows into the church and there to equip you. And then, this is a terrible one, there's people. <laughs> and people are to edify you. I'm good with the three of them, the fruit, the gifts, and the fivefold, because those are very much the wisdom of God. We would have never thought of fruit of the Spirit. We would have never given ourselves gifts of the Spirit. We would do education. We definitely wouldn't have fivefold. We'd have fifteenfold or thirtyfold or just onefold with somebody being in charge of everything. But a specific five. We'll talk about them later. But this one here, people, that's, that's weird, weirdly strange. Did you know right now you sitting here in this building is a supernatural thing? Yes. Not natural. Because what we read in the Bible in Corinthians 12 is that God positions people in the body as he sees fit. What we read in the Bible, we won't go here tonight, you're not even given a choice of where. If you think you can choose this location then you're in your own wisdom. Corinthians 12 said, and the Lord places members in the body as it pleases him. 
When you understand I'm where I'm at because God placed me here. That means I can't leave when my feelings get hurt. I can't run out the door because somebody did me wrong. That means I'm going to show up even if it's boring. That means I'm going to show up even if I don't like the music. That means I'm going to show up and give it all I got because obviously God wants me in this location. And when I plant my life in that location, you better believe there's going to be things I don't like because God is going to rub the rough edges off of me to mature me, put me with people that irritate me, put me with people that challenge me, put with people that encourage me and that edify me because that's how the body is perfected. So when you think people don't think ordinary, you're all sons and daughters of the Lord. It's why we should never pick on each other. Because the Lord said, if you pick on, if you pick on Sherry, you're picking on me. If you pick on Gary, you're picking on me. That's what Jesus said to Saul. He said to Saul, you're persecuting me. And he said, what? I'm persecuting you. You're not even here. You're up there. No, you're touching my kids. If you touch my kids, you touch me. So we need to understand that the people of God are supernatural as well. I want to ask Michael to come on up and get ready. I'm going to develop this more later, but I want to leave you with a thought of what I think revival looks like and what it is. Typical when we think revival, we think people outside the church start coming into the church. And we're like, woo, revival. We had a big crowd. We were packed out, wall-to-wall people. So this is what revival looks like. The church is filled with people. You better get here early. There's no room. And if you're Pentecostal, this is what revival looks like. It looks like people slain in the spirit. (laughs) They're slain in the spirit. Carpet time. Man, you hadn't had revival unless you're having carpet time. Carpet time is revival. But, But we're all in ourselves here. Because I've been there when people are slain in the spirit. We're going, God's working, man. They're slain in the spirit. I'll teach that later, how that's become to be such a big thing. Because we like to see something, they fell out, something's happening. But do you know you can sit there with your arms folded in in the room of God. And with your arms folded. You can have a life-changing encounter with the Lord God Almighty. My mother one time went to a church service and she didn't want to go. She didn't like the guy. They were, they were, it's the truth. They were having a, a, a conference and she told my dad, I don't want to go. I don't really care for him. And my dad said, well, stay home, stay in the hotel. And then I guess my mother just felt bad. She goes, well, I'll just go. And so with an attitude. She got up, got dressed with an attitude, sat on the front row, just like that little arms folded on him like the guy was here because I love my husband. But she had had whiplash for years, a neck pain. That gentleman walked off that stage, walked past my mother, touched her on the shoulder, kept walking. She got a miracle from a dude she didn't even like. So... So let's, let's don't think that the only way God can touch me is to be slain. He'll touch you whenever he wants to touch you. All right. So now this is typical church. This is what most think revival is. It's the church filled with people and a lot of fun things are happening inside. Listen to this. 
Hearing this, Luke 14, a man sitting at the table with Jesus said, what a blessing it'll be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. And one said, I just bought a field and I got to inspect it. Please excuse me. Now notice what's happening. His servants aren't the one making excuses. It's the people that aren't his servant. What's happened today is that the servants are the one making excuses. I'm busy. I don't have time. I'm working. And so there's a big problem. We'll talk about it later. The servant returned and told his master what they said. His master was furious. Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported there's still room for more. I'll talk about that later because a lot of people don't want revival because revival forces you out of your comfort zone. You know you're, something's wrong when you start saying, I just like my little small church. I just love it small. I like it like this. I, it's not, that's not bad, but it's not revival. The master said, go into the country in the lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come. And then I love this. We'll talk about it later so that my house will be full. This is what revival looks like. Revival is the church leaving the church, going into their 50 feet. I'll teach this in depth later. And revival is here. This is revival. They come back into the church and they get equipped, refreshed, strengthened, so they can leave the church and let others have revival. So what I have to start thinking is revival's not what happens here. Revival is what happens out here. And if I'm here going, God bring revival, he says, there's the door, honey. Go out the door and you'll find revival. And we go out the door and on our 50 feet, I'll tell you something interesting, more miracles. We're like, I don't see, I don't see miracles in the church today. You're not supposed to see them here. We already believe. We already trust him. And that's the greater miracle is one that comes by faith. It's out here in the street where they don't even know who he is. And you say, let me tell you, he's a healer. Come here a minute. Let me. And then revival happens. I want to read something and then we're going to worship. I'm giving you a prophecy already spoken over our church. And then I'm going to pull them all together in challenges. This was given to me. This word came to me. Keep your eye on the mark and prepare for the climb to the high calling. You'll climb high, but you'll, you need to keep focused on the mark. Do not look at other climbers. You ever got distracted by other climbers? Don't look to see who's climbing with you. God is assembling a team of climbers. Some are called, but have not wanted to go high. But there is coming a congregation who does not want to just do church, but wants to press in for the high calling with you. From the beginning, believers has climbed for that which is high. Your father, talking about my dad, your father reached his point and now you stand upon his rock, solid foundation to go where, this is tough, where we've never been before. Prepare your mind, your body, 
and your emotions. I'll talk about all this later. How do you do that? To go high. You will reach a summit for the Holy Spirit empowers you to go there. Stand with me if you will. I've asked Michael again just to lead worship for us. What I want us to pray over tonight is that this Sunday gathering we have, this Sunday alone, we had five new families visiting. Hey, we saw your website and we thought we would come check you out. An email last week, hey, just checking you out. I want to know, do y'all speak in tongues? Do you believe in healing? Do you? And I talked about, yep, 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 yep. People are hungry. And when we gather on a Sunday morning, we need to gather prepared. We need to come realizing I'm here to be equipped and refreshed and strengthened. And we need to believe that people will encounter Jesus when they come in the room. But I know the devil, he tries to hinder. We make excuses. We get hurt. We don't guard our emotions. Our, our, we don't prepare our mind. We come in the door scattered and unprepared. And so what we've been attempting to do is take about 20 plus minutes and just prepare the room every Wednesday night. Just prepare the ground because whether it feels spiritual or not, this gathering in this building is a supernatural thing. God sends the people. They're supernatural. The gifts of the Spirit are here. The children of God are here. And, and He wants people to meet Him here so that we can go back into the streets and we can begin to go into the towns and we can begin to go in our jobs and our business and say, Lord, let revival happen around my 50 feet.